I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we derish chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Derish Chai Experiment, the show where we examine everything that scripture has to say on a subject and then attempt to draw our conclusions based on that. This week, uh, this Saturday, in fact, is Passover, for those of you celebrating according to the Hillel 2 calendar. And this Passover, at sundown on Saturday, begins the first day of unleavened bread. And so this week, on the podcast, we're going to do a special episode only, and, uh, and that is what you're listening to right now. But uh, one of the things we find, especially at this time of the year, it's all too common to find teachings on Passover. I mean, frankly, it's impossible to throw a matzo pizza frisbee into a pack of Messianic teachers without hitting one who's teaching on the Passover. And why not? It's the Passover. It's the most iconic and even perhaps applicable festival of this age. And it is this festival that kicks off the spring festival season. But in all of this, uh, there's something that's missed. There's a festival that's part of the season that often gets overlooked when it comes to teachings on the spring festivals. And that's the festival of matzah, the festival of unleavened bread. The week that follows the Passover, and which features not one, but two days of no work. A week which is characterized by avoiding all things chametz. I mean, sure, we practice it. We clean our houses, we check labels, we avoid restaurants, we eat the hard crackers that we buy at the store, and the more crafty of us make an amazing flatbread that doesn't qualify as bread of affliction in our minds, but which certainly fulfills the requirements of the festival of matzah. But how many teachings on the deeper meaning of the festival of matzah have you ever heard? I'd be willing to bet that I could count on one hand the number of teachings that any one of us has heard on this festival. Usually when we do, it's only as a follow-up to a teaching on Passover, as an afterthought of sorts. But this festival, it is an important celebration. It's one that has a ton of meaning associated with it. And to be frank, it's impossible to speak on unleavened bread without also speaking on the Passover. But today... I want to speak on the festival of unleavened bread. I want to take time to focus specifically on this holiday. Because this week-long festival is more than simply an add-on to Passover. This week-long festival contains many important reminders in its own right, and it is truly the beginning of our celebration. And so to discover this deeper meaning, we must return to the institution of these festivals that's found in Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, we find the first mention of the festival of unleavened bread in verses 15 through 20. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Indeed, on the first day you cause leaven to cease from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that being shall be cut off from Israel. And on the first day it is a holy gathering, and on the seventh day you are to have a holy gathering. No work is to be done on them. 
Only that which is eaten by every being, that alone is prepared by you. And you shall guard the festival of Matzot, for on this same day I brought your divisions out of the land of Egypt. And you shall guard this day throughout your generations in everlasting law. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the new moon, in the evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the new moon in the evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened, that same being shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether sojourner or native of the land." Do not eat that which is leavened. In all your dwellings, you are to eat unleavened bread. So for seven days, no one is to eat any leavened products. Okay, not only that, but no leavening is to be found in your dwellings or in our homes. Now, okay, most of us know that already. It's in the name, right? And many of us, we attempt to practice it each year. We go through our homes, we search them for leaven, we find anything that has yeast in it, or sometimes even baking soda, or sometimes even anything else that might be puffed up, and we throw them out. But is there more? Is there more to it than just that? Well, let's move on to the next mention of unleavened bread in scriptures. And the next mention just happens to be in the very same chapter. Exodus twelve thirty-seven through 39. And the children of Israel set out from Ramses to Sukkot about 600,000 men on foot besides their little ones. And a mixed multitude went up with them too. Also flocks and herds, very much livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, since they were driven out of Egypt and had not been able to delay, nor had they prepared food for themselves. So here we see something very interesting. Israel left Egypt, but when they did so, they brought their dough with them. The dough that they carried was from Egypt, and yet, because this dough was not leavened, they did not carry any of the yeast of Egypt with them. Now, there seems to be something there, but we don't yet have a full picture of this. We don't yet have a full idea of the symbology and the deeper meaning of yeast. So, for now, let's simply remember this. The dough came from Egypt, but any leaven that was to be added to the dough at the end of seven days was to come from outside of Egypt. And that is what chapter 12 of Exodus has to say about the seven-day festival and its meaning. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot there to go off of. So, let's turn to the very next mention of the Festival of Unleavened Bread and see if we find any more that we can add to our understanding of unleavened bread. And we don't have to turn far. The very next chapter mentions this festival once again. Exodus 13, verse 3 through 10. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt out of the house of slavery. For by strength of hand, Hashem brought you out of his place, and whatever is leavened shall not be eaten. Today you are going out in the new moon of Aviv, and it shall be when Hashem brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Chivites and the Yevusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day is a festival to Hashem. Unleavened bread is to be eaten the seven days, and whatever is leavened is not to be seen within you, not to be seen with you, and leaven is not to be seen within all your borders. And you shall inform your son in that day, saying, It is because of what Hashem did for me when I came up from Egypt. And it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and a reminder between your eyes that the Torah of Hashem is to be in your mouth. 
For with a strong hand Hashem has brought you out of Egypt, and you shall guard this law at its appointed time from year to year. Wow. So this passage definitely contains a bit more about this festival. It says you shall teach your children that the reason for this festival is because of what Hashem did for me when he brought me out of Egypt. But when is this to be taught to our children? When Israel was in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and all those others. When they had successfully conquered the land of Canaan. And how many people who were literally brought out of Egypt made it into the promised land? Two men and and some Levites. And yet, all of Israel was to teach their children that this is a reminder of what Hashem has done for me when he brought me up out of the land of Egypt. There's something profound in that statement. And the Seder that accompanies the Passover usually highlights this fact. Every person of Israel from every generation is to look on the Passover as if it had happened to him or her personally. Even each of us today is to view the Passover in this way. And for us in this time, it is a bit easier to do so. Because we each have a personal Passover event that we can look to, that we can look back on in our lives if you are a believer in Yeshua the Messiah. And that is the Passover event of the New Testament and the salvation that is found in Yeshua. So this isn't as difficult for modern Christians or Messianics to appreciate. So what else does Exodus 13 add to our understanding of matzah? Well, the festival of matzah is to be a sign on our hand and between our eyes that the Torah is to be in our mouths. There is so much there. So it is to be a sign on our hand and frontlets between our eyes. This is a statement that is repeated several times in the Torah, the most famous being in Deuteronomy 6 and what's commonly called the Shema. The festival of matzah is to be this sign, and the sign is to point us to the fact that Hashem saved us from Egypt with a strong hand. And so his Torah is to be not just in our minds, it is to be in our mouths. Did you catch that? We're to put unleavened bread in our mouths for seven days as a reminder that the Torah is to be in our mouths always. Mind blown when I discovered that. Unleavened bread is a way to symbolize the Torah of Hashem. We are, as Deuteronomy 6 says, to teach it to our children and to speak of it when we sit in our house and when we walk by the way. So what do we have so far from just these two chapters? For seven days following the Passover, we are not to eat leaven or to even let it be found anywhere in our borders. The dough for the original festival of matzah came from Egypt, but the leaven of Egypt was left behind. We are all to view matzah as if we ourselves lived through the Passover experience. Not just the plague of the firstborn, but the escape and the crossing of the Red Sea as well. And we're all to see this festival as a sign that we are to take the leaven out of our mouths and put the Torah in our mouths. That Right there, if we were to stop there, that's pretty significant stuff, right? But scripture doesn't stop there in its discussion of leavening and unleavened bread. So if we follow this thread of leaven throughout the Hebrew scriptures, we find that there is even more to be found. 
In Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles, and elsewhere, we discover that unleavened bread is one of the three festivals that all men in Israel were to appear before God at his place of worship. And so there is an aspect of preventing oneself before the Father that is encompassed in this festival. We find in Leviticus that during this festival that we are to bring a sheaf of the first fruits of the barley and wave it before Hashem. And in Deuteronomy, we learn that all who had barley were to bring their own first fruits and to make a first fruit offering or a tribute before Hashem as well. And throughout scripture in places such as Second Chronicles and Ezra, we discover that this festival was one that was celebrated with joy. Why is that? Well, because it is the festival of our freedom. Now, there's so much that we can discover about this festival by simply tracking the various mentions of the festival throughout the Hebrew scriptures. But the New Testament has some things to say about this festival as well. Throughout the New Testament, we read of leaven being used as a symbol for various things. Uh, Matthew 16, 6 through 12. And Yeshua said to them, mind and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Because we brought no bread. But Yeshua, aware of this, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you brought no bread? Do you still not understand, neither remember the five loaves and the five thousand, and how many baskets you picked up? Or the seven loaves and the four thousand, and how many large baskets you picked up? How is it? that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeshua uses the symbol of leaven to describe the teachings and the doctrine of the religious leaders of his day. Mark 14 and 12 uses the symbol in the same way. Although Mark adds in the Herodians to this list of those whose leaven is to be avoided, and Luke spells out that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And so in the Gospels, leaven can be boiled down to the doctrine of hypocrites, or even the teachings of the religious leaders. And perhaps the clearest mention of the festival of unleavened bread, other than in the stories of the crucifixion, is something that Paul states in 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, 7-8 Therefore cleanse out the old leaven, so that you are a new lump, as you are unleavened. For also Messiah, our Pesach, was sacrificed for us. So then let us celebrate the festival not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of evil and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, usually this verse is trotted out by us Torah-observant people to say, See, Paul commands us to keep the festival. And the passage simply becomes an apologetic for keeping the festival of matzah. And in this passage, Paul likens leaven to pride and evil and wickedness. And so there are many teachers who focus on this as the point of unleavened bread for us today. Get the sin, the wickedness, the evil, and the pride out of your life. And unleavened bread he likens to sincerity and truth. Replace your wickedness with these things. Did you see the way that verse 7 began? It began with a therefore. And I was taught very early on that when you see a therefore, we must always stop and discover what it's there for. Verses that begin with a for or a therefore are not standalone passages. They have a context that is part of the passage. So let's pull back a bit and examine the context of this passage. 
1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. It is commonly reported that there is whoring among you, and such whoring as is not even named among the nations, so as one to have his father's wife. And you have been puffed up, and did not rather mourn, so that he who has done this deed be removed from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged the one who did this, as though I were present. In the name of our Master Yeshua the Messiah, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Master Yeshua the Messiah, deliver such a one to Satan for destruction of the flesh, in order that his spirit be saved in the day of the Master Yeshua. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the entire lump? Therefore cleanse out the old leaven, so that you are a new lump, as you are unleavened, for also our Messiah, our Pesach, was sacrificed for us. So then let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of evil and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This passage takes on a whole new light when we read it in context. Paul isn't talking about a personal action of looking inward to squash that evil that's in there. He's describing a process of looking into the midst of our communities and casting out the leaven of those who refuse to be corrected or who refuse to cease sinning from our midst. The prideful, the evil, and the wicked people. And we can perhaps define these words better by looking into the fruits of the flesh that Paul describes in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 19-21 And the works of the flesh are well known, which are these. Adultery, whoring, uncleanness, indecency, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, quarrels, jealousies, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, murders, drunkenness, wild parties, and the like of which I forewarn you, even as I also said before, that those who practice such things as these shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now there at the edges of this list, we find things that seem easy to spot. Adultery, idolatry, murders, party, wild parties. Yep, wickedness indeed. Find those who are doing these things and get them out of your midst. But in the center, we find some things that are perhaps not so easily applied to our communities. Quarrels, jealousies, rage, self-ambition, dissensions, factions. How often do we address these in the midst of our communities? How often do we cast out those who continue to practice such things as these? Paul says that rather than allow those who would continue to practice such things to remain in our midst, we are to instead throw them out as so much leaven before the Passover. And there is a process that Yeshua describes in Matthew 18 that leads to this outcome if repentance and change is not found in the offender. And then Paul continues that we are to mourn that such a one even existed in our midst in the first place and mourn for the one who has been cast out. We're not to respond to this action in pride that we are righteous and have vanquished the wicked one from our midst. Again, mind blown. Deleavening the house in this passage, it takes on a whole new meaning in this case. It's not just simple spring cleaning of our domiciles. 
It's not even just the difficult task of digging into our own hearts and dredging up the sin that's nestled there. It's looking within our very own communities, and if necessary, doing the hard thing and removing an unrepentant brother from our midst. That is a difficult word. So we've looked at the literal instructions that God gave Israel concerning the festival of matzah. We've looked at the way that the authors of the New Testament and Yeshua himself used the symbolism contained in the idea of leavening. So finally, let's look at some practical considerations of matzah before wrapping this all up and coming to a conclusion. In the ancient Near East, there was no such thing as a packet of yeast. Now, many of you have heard it before. Yeast is in the air. There's no avoiding it. And that has led to some very interesting takes on this topic, and it's caused some to throw in the towel and defeat when it comes to the festival of matzah. How can we possibly deleaven our houses when the yeast is in our very air? But matzah is a time of joy and victory, not defeat. So I would recommend that you not let this bother you. It's not as if God didn't know this. I don't bring this up to use it as fodder for some deeper meaning, but simply to point out that there was no simple way to leaven bread in the ancient Near East. You had to let a bit of dough sit out long enough to begin to absorb that yeast that is naturally occurring in the year. And that means a process that's very similar to making sourdough in the modern world. All you need is a bit of starter dough with yeast already in it, and then you can simply chain your dough from loaf to loaf. A bit from that previous loaf is kept back and used to start the next loaf. And this begins the leavening process and accelerates it so that the new loaf can be leavened in just a few hours. Then before you stick it in the oven, you rip a chunk off and that becomes your starter for the next dough. Otherwise, creating the starter, it can take up to a week or more for the yeast in the air to begin the process enough to leaven an entire lump of dough. And so what was the practical way of fulfilling this command in the ancient Near East? Well, chances are that each of you know someone or have heard of someone who does sourdough bread regularly. And often the starter dough that many use for their sourdough is something that's been used for many years consecutively, and in some cases, even generations. So practicing unleavened bread in a society that eats primarily sourdough, it means tossing out that starter dough that's been used for the last year. For the people of Israel? It might mean throwing out the starter dough that's been around for generations and centuries at that first Passover. It means taking a break from the time necessary to gather the yeast into the dough and for the bread to rise. Rather than it taking hours to make a loaf of bread, matzah can be made in just a few minutes. And this means starting over with your bread, starting over each year fresh and new, the leaven from the past put aside, destroyed, start over fresh. So when we add all of this together, it paints a picture for us that could be summed up in one simple idea. Throw out the starter dough and start over. Remember, the Torah is to be in your mouth. Appear before Hashem. Discard the doctrine of the Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians. Discard the ways of Egypt. Discard the ways of your religious leaders. Dig out the pride and the sin that's in your heart and in your communities. 
And all of this speaks of one thing. Get back to the basics. Strip away any extra doctrine or any thoughts that you might have about the Bible that are not in the Bible. Strip away the pretense of righteousness while before the Holy Father, and rely simply on His righteousness as described to us in the words that He has given us. And so that's something that I want to challenge each of you with. Something to challenge ourselves with as we go through the week of matzah. The week of matzah, don't listen to a podcast. Don't listen to a teacher beyond the first day. Don't read into what's being said in the Bible. Instead, spend this time with the words of the text alone. Nothing more. Nothing to fluff it up. Nothing to fill in the gaps. Simply sit with the text and let it be what it is. And through this, get back to the basics of your faith. And what are the basics of our faith? Now, there are many who would disagree and bring up various things that are necessary to believe or to do to be considered in the faith. But I have found that these basics can be found by comparing the events of this week as recorded in the Bible. In Exodus, we read of the Pesach, the Passover, the journey to the Red Sea, the crossing of the sea, the song of victory, and the journey up to the oasis with 70 palms and 12 springs, which is chapters 12 through 15 of Exodus. And then compare these to the stories of the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, and then through the road to Emmaus. And as we read through these, we are not only to all think of ourselves as having gone through the Passover, but we are to recognize that if you are a believer in the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua, then you have gone through the Passover. The perfect lamb was slain for you. As Paul says, Yeshua has become our Passover lamb, and you have eaten of his flesh. His blood has been applied to the posts of your heart. And it is this blood that prevents the destroyer, the one that seeks the death of all mankind, from gaining access to you. You have been brought into and made a member of the nation of Israel, even if you are from the mixed multitude of the nations. And the enemy that has enslaved you, sin, death, and even the king of that enemy and his armies have all been defeated. You have passed through the water, you have passed through the blood, and the first fruits of the dead have been raised before the Father in heaven. And now you have a firm hope that you too will be part of that harvest when it comes. And that that's the simplicity of the gospel. Each of these ideas, they contain an entire realm of depth and meaning and understanding in them, but for this week, let's simply meditate on and marinate in that simplicity. Let us determine for this week to know only one thing, Yeshua the Messiah, dead for our sins, buried in the earth for three days, and then rising on the third day. Death defeated, sin defeated, life eternal, now given to all who are his. Given to Israel. Given to you. And with that insight, the festival of unleavened bread is a time of joy. It is a time of celebration. 
even as we eat the bread of affliction as it's known. For we know that in this simplicity there is life. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Derek's Kai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. The music was provided by the Exodus Road Band. Check them out on iTunes or ExodusRoadBand.com. We'll see you again next time as we Derek's Kai, as we seek life. Shalom. <laughs>